I was brought in, I guess, to explain some of the TRIR research that we did that, you know, long story short, that that doesn't really carry any statistical meaning behind it at all. Well, in fact, it's, 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 it's more random than random. Yeah, it's more random than the flip of a coin. That's amazing. And 98% TRIR, really close. We should say that again. It's, it's more random than a flip of a coin. You're better doing your contract cutoffs and selections based upon coin flips. Honest to God, that's what you're saying. That's 100% true. You're yep. better picking contractors based upon coin flips than you are the TRIR. TRIR. Yeah, I mean, I can't even make a random number generator that's quite as good as TRIRs. <laughs> Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation uh, Podcast. I forgot what we, for a moment, I totally forgot where we were. Kind of freaked out. Hey, I promised you a part two, and I'm now going to deliver a part two. So this is Matthew Hollowell, and this conversation, if you can't tell from the teaser at the beginning, this conversation kind of freaks you out. I mean, this is going to, hello, conventional wisdom, gone, just gone. Um, gone. And we've all known this, but the, the, the threat to think that the metrics we use are meaningful, this is an entire study in psychology that is super interesting to me. I wonder how much other crap we do this with, where we just, we've just insisted it, that it must be meaningful because we're so invested in it. And we've used it so long, and there's no other good options that, by golly, this is going to be true whether it is or not. I mean, that's totally where we are in this, which by all rights should frustrate some people and make them crazy. But think about this, kids and kittens. Uh, how many contracts have not been awarded? How many managers have not gotten a bonus? How many promotions have not happened because of a number that is entirely random. Not even really trendable. I mean, like more random than random. Like <laughs> crazy random. I'm choking up. I'm emotional. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I mean, it's it's really an interesting pod. And I actually think this one, of all the podcasts we've ever done, this one ought to get some legs. Play it for your boss. Play it for your board of directors. Play it for your... Don't play it for your friends because your friends... Have other things to talk about with your friends, okay? Promise me that, will you? You don't have to play it for your friends. But I do think this really is a big old ugly mirror held up in front of our face that we got to look at. What are we choosing to collectively ignore in the hopes of... I don't know predicting the future. That is what this podcast is about. I'm a little motivated. Can you tell? Also, I had a really good night. I went to the rodeo and it was really interesting because it rodeos are always interesting. It, this one was amazing. Kind of a show. Uh, no animals were injured. It was, you know, they, no horses were carried off by a front end loader. It was, it was wonderful, but I just like it because the food in the, in the rodeo, if you've not been to a rodeo, and maybe you haven't had the opportunity, but many of you around the globe do. I, I know this. The food alone at a rodeo is worth going to a rodeo. That, so let's just put that on the record because I think that's worthwhile. And we're, we're just screaming into 
the fall period in New Mexico, which is pretty special. I mean, it's a really good time to be here. The smell of roasted chilies, which if you don't know what that means, look it up. It's we well, can't really look up a smell, but the idea that they roast chilies is uh, really an important idea culturally and has been for a long time. And it smells delicious. Pinon pine. Um, leaves are changing. You know what fall looks like. I don't have to describe it to you, but it is really gorge. So that, that part's, that part's really fun as well. And so much exciting things coming up on the podcast, which is you guys, I, I don't know if we've talked about this in a while, but it's unbelievable to me that we've been doing this so long and we have been, we've been doing it a long time and so many people are part of this, but none of them more important than you. Really the podcast is you and I. And so that alone is worthwhile, but I've got all these uh, really interesting conversations lined up that are just, they just keep screaming and um, we're not really running out of material, which I kind of thought I, I mean, between, I mean, I've done like hundreds of like 700 or more. I don't even, I've a lot of these more than I ever imagined I would do. And I think I thought, you know, we're going to run out of stuff to talk about because of course you're going to run out of stuff to talk about because you run out of stuff to talk about, but it's not happening. It is just not happening, which kind of dumps us right back into what I promised. So part two's, um, so anytime I break an episode into, so I can make the episodes as long as I want. You know that, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's kind of no rule, but I kind of think that half hour is long enough for the long ones. If you're like me. I've got probably a half hour I can tweak while walking the dog or washing dishes or flying on a plane or whatever I'm doing. But more than a half hour is a little bit more. Unless it's super interesting, it's a little bit more to ask than you should ask. And I've really heard a lot of feedback on the little short ones, the safety moment ones. A lot of people want those longer. Um, and maybe that'd be cool too. I I, I just don't – We it's, it's a habit, so I just kind of do them the way I do them. Anytime I break one up into half like this, into two parts, you know what's happening, right? I don't have to tell you. I get two episodes for the price of one. So from an efficiency standpoint, Eric, are you hearing me? Efficiency versus thoroughness trade-off. Uh, from an efficiency standpoint, I get, a, I, I get a pretty big reward. But also, I actually think topically, it's a really interesting way to do this. And so Matt, you'll notice in the first part, it's kind of a, it's just a, a, a conversation. I mean, that's all it was. It gets a little more pointed and a little more impactful in the second one because we start to drill down. Uh, certainly, we're going to drill down around the the reportability rates that all of us, no matter where you are in the globe, sort of suffer. But we're also going to talk a little bit about this idea of fatalities and how reportability plays into fatalities as well. So it's a pretty interesting convo. There's no question about it. And I think you'll like it. So without any further ado, and I know you've been waiting with bated breath, here it is. This is part two of Dr. Matthew Hallowell. And he's going to talk to you about, well, sit back and listen. He'll tell you what he's going to talk about. You don't have to be that chomping at the bit. It's coming. Here it comes. Why do you think people die? Not the big question of why people die. <laughs> Not the but, existential. But no, no. I mean, you can take that if you want to. But let me shut this off. Um, no, why do people die at work? Because I'm really because the answer I would give you, you will love. So I won't say it. Oh boy, but it's I what I say it. all the time. 
Now, if I don't give her that answer, I'll be, I'll be no, disappointed. No, I think you're fine. Why do people die at work? I mean, I think there's just – I think it's a complex – set of reasons. Well, so I think you're right. You so people. So I I had to yeah, the, and people are complicated and, and, and people die. <laughs> That's uh, pretty much how everybody's ending is written. I had to look at a uh, 11 fatalities for one company that happened within a, about a week period and there were 11 separate events. And you can't not start to correlate even though I was trying really hard not to correlate, but you, I mean you <laughs> And it's, I had a really strong epiphany, and the epiphany is that people don't die at work because of lack of prevention. They die at work because of a lack of control. And that the, the reason people die is not because we failed to prevent the accident or we failed, safety failed or management failed. They die because we failed to control the energy. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a great answer. But it's, it's super obvious, right? It's, I wouldn't even say it's especially interesting. Um, but it's it's incredibly different than what the vast majority of the masses um, – God, that sounded bitchy. The vast majority of the people who, who do this work believe, and, and that is that somehow they died because the company failed to prevent the guy from dying. But in fact, the reason they died is because when the bad thing happened, we were caught in a position where there was virtually no control between the energy the person. and the person. Yeah, and and when you start to look at a failure of prevention, and shut me down anytime because no, no, I want to talk to you, it it completely changes the way you understand fatality. I mean, just just it's a remark. So then things like PCIF or high pots or and I and I'm not making fun of anybody. Well, I am, but I'm, but I'm doing it in a loving way. It, those drive me crazy because any event can kill people if there's a failure to control the energy. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, staircases kill lots and lots of workers, but nobody would put a staircase on their PCIF or high pot list because that's not terribly sexy. It's a staircase. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you're right. So the, the, the it almost in a way defines – this may be too controversial, but safety, right? What is safety? And I would say when it comes to fatality prevention, it's the presence of controls that are essentially immune or difficult to defeat by human error. Which is we will make errors. As which is kind of how we got to the word capacity. Yeah. I'm not in love with the word capacity. We made it up because there was nothing else. You know, I used to say yeah. safety is the presence of defenses, the presence of controls. But it's more than that because... Yeah. Because it's more than defenses and controls. Now, had I had to do it again, I think I would call it operational tolerance. I like that term. Although I like I'm not it. sure it's any more well, meaningful. It's just it's more romantic. It is more romantic. And, but it's two words now. And it's harder to argue. <laughs> you know what's really funny about the word capacity is back when I was doing my dissertation work. Mm-hmm. You I, mean you mean your book report? My book report. We've basically. all done them. So yeah. Your big book report. So when I when I was doing that piece of work, as an engineer, we were using the term capacity. And and we were using it in a slightly different way. We were thinking about it as you, know, you have the demand on a system, which right. are all the dangers around you, and you have your capacity for success. We kind of envisioned it kind of like a, a beam, right? You load a beam with a load. Well, the beam better have enough capacity to hold that load, or otherwise you end up with failure. And so I, I've always liked the idea of capacity because it, it can have a broad meaning. Right? It, I think it does. Building your overall strength so to I, resist something. So I will tell you from my standpoint, the reason I use it is because it has a broad meaning. Yeah, I think it's that's because, because it's more encompassing. 
Um, but it was really hard. I mean, this was a pretty hard sell until the pandemic. Really? And the pandemic changed, at least in the boardroom and at the C-suite level, it changed the game. So we were coming out of a world that was – construction is the best example of this in the whole world – that was almost entirely incentivized to optimize efficiency. Right. I mean, but by definition, construction has to optimize efficiency. I mean, that's how you not only build buildings, but it's how you make money. It's how you get the next contract. Coordinate trades. Yeah, absolutely. All we could put all that stuff in there. And then this giant uncertainty punch happened with multiple crises, you know, supply chain. I mean, a, a bunch of bad things happened. And it was really weird because now at the highest levels of organizations that I hang out with, they started to talk about optimizing towards resilience, which was a relative – and I'm not sure efficiency will go away. In fact, I think I would say naively I'm relatively certain it won't go away. But all of a sudden this idea of resilience, hence capacity, has come into the vernacular. And it's really weird where once I would spend time defending this notion of – creating capacity to fail safely or creating capacity to actually have controls and process, starting when certain, those ideas that we talk about all the time that are fundamental to the energy wheel. I mean, it's fundamental to the way you think. I used to have to defend that stuff like crazy. And now it's kind of weird because now they're mostly interested in talking about that stuff. There, I've seen that beyond the the safety realm and i have a lot of colleagues at the university because i'm in i'm in civil and environmental engineering that's an you know that's how universities work right the whole idea of college having colleagues that's, yeah that's the point we I, mean, used to, we I don't used want to, to boss you around we, we even used to to get together yeah but some of the folks who i work with um they or work around they study natural disasters and resiliency is a huge concept in that domain and it's not just the resilience of the structures that are built, but the social resilience and all sorts mm -hmm. of other things. And so what used to be in that field looked at as individual homes against individual loads really looks at community-based resilience. So I think the concept of resilience is it's really taking off in a lot of domains. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It's, I and, agree. It's and probably rightfully so. I mean, it's the, the timing. I mean, if not now, when is probably a relatively good question, he right. says through his mask. Um <laughs> But, but I think that's, that's, that's really offered us an opportunity, I think, to dramatically impact um, the work we're doing at a level that has kind of more legs for companies. And it's attainable. I mean, the one thing I worry about is how does a small construction company – get this knowledge how do they oh and that's the majority of companies well right? it's, it's the vast majority and that's and that's we know small companies have events i mean i don't know if they have more events or less events i would have to probably get a professor of engineering and construction science to <laughs> do you think question. they do have more yeah i think that's probably my guess i think be, the rates are i mean the rates are higher for small medium yeah. but making that available really so that it's palatable understandable affordable and it makes sense yep. means we have to change Things like TRIR. We have to change the reportable cases. We have to change the days away. We have to change the incentive structure around managing those numbers. Because right now, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. It is much more to my advantage to not tell the truth than to tell the truth. Oh, we've incentivized that entirely. Not completely. I mean, it's just the way and the whole system works. And it's the ultimate question. If you fall in the parking lot getting out of your car and no one sees you and you weren't injured, 
did you fall? Did you fall? Exactly. And the answer is no, I didn't fall. Only goofballs would well, fall. Especially for the small and medium, as everybody knows who's been around TRI, I mean, one incident right. is catastrophic. If you take a large company, they have, just in their numbers, resilience against one incident. Small companies don't have it. So if you're going to pre-qualify them out, if they reach a certain threshold, and one incident's going to do that, they'll do I mean, by survival, these companies have to hide things. And it's the wrong thing. I mean, that's, that's what's so unfortunate is not only does it incentivize and really make these horrific business cases for these small companies, but it's also the wrong thing. Because you said something earlier today that I said to a really powerful board of directors in a really big company that was having problems, really, like you would know the people on this board, famous people. I went into a meeting on a Thursday afternoon, kind of nervous because it was a creepy, it's I mean, a weird vibe. Well, yeah, because it's yeah. a board of directors of famous people and everybody in the, you know, the guy that's handing out donuts has got a board job that probably yeah. pays three. Every board people. member has their handler behind yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Those are weird environments. Yeah, it was <laughs> really weird. And the first slide I put up said death. And then I asked this board of directors, would you trade a broken arm for a dead body? Yeah. And in about, you know, a millisecond, they said absolutely. And then I pushed a button and the slide I don't know how this – I could never recreate it because – but somehow I made it blur and the word injury came on. And I said, then you have to make it okay to injure people. Your contractors have to be able to injure workers and tell you the truth. Because right now, if a contractor breaks a guy's arm to that company, metaphorically, it's a fatality. Same number. Because they – yeah, because they, they lost they lost the contract. Right. And you have to make it okay to injure people in order for us to stop killing people. And then when we get good at not killing people, then we can work we'll way work down. on that way to, to the injuries. And you said it. I've never heard another person say that. I mean, this was a horrific experience for that board um, because it, it was like holding up a big mirror that said, you know, the reason you're killing so many people is because as a company, you've incentivized all numbers are equal, all injuries are equal, and and therefore... People will manage to that number. Well, yeah, it's absolutely. Just, it's just human nature. And you said the very same thing today. And well, I thought it was really bold of you. Well, I, I, Especially when they started throwing stuff at you. I was, <laughs> all those balls in yeah. the room that everybody had. Yeah, I know that was scary. The, um, the thing, the, the, the story behind that question came from, I was invited to a senior leadership. So this is, you know, not the board, but the chief executive officers mm -hmm. and, and you know, CEO, COO, and whatnot. And we were talking about what the safety metrics would be for the upcoming year. And I was brought in, I guess, to explain some of the TRIR research that we did that, you know, long story short, that that doesn't really carry any statistical meaning behind it at all. Well, in fact, it's, 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 it's more random than random. Yeah, it's more random than the flip of a coin. That's amazing. And 98% TRIR. Really close. We should say that again. It's, it's more random than a flip of a coin. You're better doing your contract cutoffs and selections based upon coin flips. Honest to God, that's what you're saying. That's 100% true. You're yep. better picking contractors based upon coin flips than you are the TRIR. Yeah, I mean, I can't even make a random number generator that's quite as good as TRIRs. <laughs> and you're good at that crap. Exactly. Yeah, so the, so the story was I, I was brought in, I, you know, being the proper academic I am, I bored them with the, uh, with, with the details, which, you know, sometimes when you're a finance person or a risk manager, that, that will, you know, resonate. But 
I, I still got the feedback of, yeah, well, and then I don't know why I asked it, but I said, well, how many of these recordables that you spent the last hour talking about would you trade for one life? And they kind of like, not, they thought it was a rhetorical question. Well, no, 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 Matt, they wanted it to be a they, rhetorical question. They did, because there was that, that uncomfortable silence. Because if it's a rhetorical question, I can answer it theoretically. Well, you know, <laughs> but it's not a rhetorical question. It's That's an honest-to-God question. Yeah, and I, I asked the question because I was, in a way, honestly, I was getting a little frustrated. Well, yeah. Because they were, I mean, they were hearing it. It's not valid, but we're going to measure it anyways was kind of the vibe I was getting. So I asked them, how many are you going to trade for one life? And... Then they kind of hemmed and hawed. I'm like, really? How many are you going to trade? And eventually it came out that whether or not they mean this or not, I don't know. But they said all of them. Well, let's give them the benefit. I, I think they absolutely I think mean it. I, I mean, I, I think genuinely they, they, absolutely they would. Mean. And absolutely. I so my conclusion was then I don't know why you're talking about TRI anymore. It's not valid, and you don't care about it in comparison to you know the alternatives right. that we just talked about. But, but and I, I did see the kind of spark go off, so then I stuck with that, <laughs> but I'm that not, question. I'm not sure anybody – has had the conejos, okay, Yeah. badly used Spanish on purpose. Conejos is the word for rabbit, just in case you're yeah, wondering. Rabbit. The conejos to actually say that to a senior management group. I, because for two reasons. One is it's pretty high risk. I mean, the only way you get to have that meeting with the senior leaders or with the board of directors is something really bad's going on. I mean, the only yeah. reason I got access to the board of directors of this company is because a lot of people died. The second thing is... Is this is counterintuitive to the way we think about this problem. We have not, because we want it to be, we want the pyramid so desperately to be true, because the pyramid makes an uncertain world yeah. more certain. It's, it's, it's not even oversimplification. I would actually take you to task on that. It's wrong. The, it doesn't simplify a difficult question. It's just right. It's, it's simple it's, to understand. Well, People a, like things that it's mythic, are triangles. It's mythically comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me the, the reasoning that I brought it up is that, I don't know, I'm, I'm an ac a tenured professor, so what do I care? Yeah, what they are they going to do? they don't like it, I, mean, I keep my job. They can't, I mean, so if, if they're saying something that's patently false or they need to be challenged, it's kind of like, you know, what interests your manager fascinates you, but they're not my manager, and I was brought in to provide information. Right. So I was going to challenge them because I don't have, there's no risk to me, I don't care. So where does that lead us? Where do we go? What's next on the horizon for you? What What are you interested in? Well, we, so safety measurement has been on my radar for the last couple of years because I think that how we measure safety absolutely needs to change. Yeah. But I also, and in order to go into a leadership meeting and say TRIR is not great, I have to come with something that's a better alternative. I can't just say this is not good because they'll just... Default. So then you look at control efficacy. I mean, the problem is, is that every the way the the way we use these measurements, which is why I'm really pushing you to think about monitoring. Yeah. Um, the way we use these measurements, everything will become incentivized towards um, a, a lagging indicator. So if we look at safeguard efficacy or a control efficacy, right, yeah. which is a really good thing for us to measure, and actually probably a much better use of our time. We'll get to the point where we can fudge that. Although you said something brilliant, and I very rarely say that. And that is you said if you look at your data and you, you incentivize it as a monthly report, only view the first three weeks. 
Yeah, because you get genuine information. Yeah, I mean, that actually helps the the fidelity of the information, and I think that's an important role. But let me shut up and, well, and go back. What's what's I, next? So along, I don't know if it fits technically the definition of monitoring, but if I were to invent a safety metric. So you know you can, right? Well, I mean, that's what I've been trying okay, to Okay, so, well, so if I, you're I looking for permission, yeah. <laughs> we give you permission. We collectively give you permission. Yeah, so I... I I think, if, one, it would need to be oriented towards what matters the most, and that's preventing serious injuries and fatalities. The second is I think it relates to what we talked about in terms of high energy, right, enough energy to kill somebody, and controls. And so that's why even today in the presentation, as an alternative way, it's not a lagging indicator, it's not a leading indicator as that's traditionally defined, but it's a monitoring indicator. Is If I go out and I visit a job site, do I see that all of the high energy hazards are controlled to the extent that people can make mistakes and not be fatally injured. So you can actually go in and do a proper engineering analysis of these controls and whether or not they are sufficient. Right. So I think that there's something in that as a metric because now we measure two things. We measure unsafety, which would be somebody exposed to a high energy source without a control, and we measure safety, which is the presence of somebody doing work that has high energy, which is required in the presence of the controls that we expected to see. So I think that that's a decent monitoring value. And, hey, we're going out and doing site visits anyways. Why not add some structure to that and I would actually, make it into something we can monitor? I would actually make a case that I'm not sure we measure the successful work stuff well at all. Uh, again, because there's an absence of I think we should. I think we have to really address the fact that w what is it that keeps us effective? So what's happening when nothing bad's happening? The classic Eric Hallnagel yeah, question. I mean, that's his... That's his sort of question that he's in love with right now. I think that's exactly right. Gracias, amigo. I think I think that I mean I think that's that's right. I mean, if I go out and I visit a site and there are high energy hazards required to do the work and they're all well controlled to the extent that, like we said, people can make mistakes, which they will, and not be seriously injured, I think that is success. But when we see, we could see work that's nobody's injured, but see that there's an absent control. I think, I think that that is, I think that that is a, uh, I think that's a reasonable proxy for that situation where there's failure in the success, the way we traditionally defined it as the absence of injury. So I think, I mean, I, I do think that we can get there. There are other forms of capacity, if you will, that are, are worth monitoring that might not be as easily measured as absence or presence of controls. But. So what, honestly, what interests you? I'm curious because where are you thinking next? Well, you know what? Well, other than the fact that I really want you to dig into the uh, idea of monitoring because clearly this is a uh, – I'm broaching. So, and no, this actually, comes from you. When you, you put that little chart up where you had lagging, leading, and then you had yeah, the middle. Stuff in the middle. Yeah. Stuff in the, the stuff in the middle is what you monitor. Exactly. And that's what so, we're and working on providing Control efficacy is a monitoring activity. Uh, identification of safe work is a monitoring. It's how we're successful, when we're successful. A, those are all monitoring. Those are things that probably are hard to measure because everything will eventually kill you, and there's kind of an absence of a null site. So nothing bad has happened. So, Yeah, I think, I think the uh, mo monitoring is, I mean, it's something I've been interested in. That's why I think we can link it to observations when we visit site. It's something we can 
monitor when we want to instead of waiting for an injury to happen and See, respond to that. Even observations, though, is really, really, really normative and focused kind of on a worker. We've weaponized observation. It's not you. You're using it, I suppose, as a relatively pure academic term. Yes. But when you see observation, what yeah. people say is we're going to go out and look at workers. That's probably and, my biggest challenge is dealing with the vocabulary that's out there that has so much loaded meaning. When I say observation, I mean we visit a site and we look at the conditions. Yeah. Observation, inspection, audit, all of those things, but all, these, and they're so confounding. Well, because they're all incredibly different, right? We audit to find, well, this is not us. Organizations tend to audit to find deviation. Yes. So they find efficiency. What we really want to do is really assure the presence of control. Exactly. Right? But even assurance has kind of a weird double-edged sword to it. I mean, it's like I'm always in trouble because I use the word efficacy, which I actually think is a pretty good word, but it's, it clearly triggers some kind of resistance from people. Yeah, there's so many loaded words in safety. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still and we've done that. enough in my career. I'm still I'm, I'm I'm still learning how loaded some of these things. Well, are. and we've done that to ourselves. I mean, that's 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 our own problem. Yeah, but I think <laughs> I mean, in addition to to monitoring and and having more continuous assessment of what's going on related to safety, that that's something that we're actively working in that space, trying to put some real common definition to some of these things. At least creating the ingredients. So it's how possible. about the idea of essential control? So where you, where you look at the energy, right, you, you take all of the stuff you've done, you, you say, oh, this will kill us, right, kind mm -hmm. of the sticky theory. Because the sticky question for a long time was, that's a pretty sexy question, and people thought it was enough. You identify the, the bad thing, you identify the critical risk, and people will just sort of back away from it and treat it like a cobra, right? Yeah. But in fact, the only thing that really identifying the critical risk does is actually allow you the opportunity to then ask the, the question about essential controls. What what are the essential controls? Not all the controls, not the bazillion levels of controls, but ultimately what are the essential controls that keep us safe? And then you can sort of build a system that says instead of stop work authority, you actually give workers start work, start authority. work authority. And they don't start yeah. the job until the two critical controls. I'm at height, so I need to have you know a tie-off above my head and a harness or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm making stuff up here, but... Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that that's a, it's start work authority, I think, is a great way to put it, because then you're verifying that the controls that are needed are present. And then if there's a deviation from that that people see, they can stop or right. address it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it makes, yeah, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, I think controls assessment in the pre-job and in the design of the work even takes take a step further back, that can, embedding the controls, making the controls easy to use, informing people about them, I think that that's... That's really where we've been moving in, in the way we've been doing some of our research. Um, I'm all about control. As an engineer, I'm all about energy and, and controls. But I think some of the newer, interestingly enough, I'm not terribly concerned with the topics. That's where I always default to listening to like your podcast and reading different books and hearing what is, is challenging in the industry. My focus more has been more on what are the methods that we can actually study this stuff so that it has a scientific underpinning, it is validated, it's, it's something that will stand the test of time so that we're not on sort of a safety treadmill, but we're actually creating knowledge that we can rest on for the foreseeable future. So I'm really into methods. How do we actually do the research? 
that helps us make these advancements that we're looking to do, like controls analysis and, you know, energy, high energy, what's, what is sticky, what's not sticky, that sort of thing. I think if better defined, those, those ideas have more staying power. It's a two-parter, and I still go long, but it was worth it. You've got to admit it was worth it. Wasn't that stunningly interesting? Yes. The answer is yes, that was stunningly interesting, and I'm glad we got to share it. Let's talk more about it later. Until then, my friends, learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. Today's kind of a big day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems really important, kind of more important now than when I started it saying at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, it's... It's it's a big deal. And check in on one another. That matters as well. And as always, for goodness sakes, be safe. Hey.